What's up guys and gals, Mark Kenyon here from Wired to Hunt, and we are back with another audio version of the 100% Wild Podcast. And today, Matt and I are joined again by Mark Drury. And Mark has been gracious enough to be a frequent guest on the podcast, and man, I just think we all benefit a lot from that. I just can't seem to get enough from him. There is, there's so much to learn. So with that said, today we dive into a number of things related to Mark's summer plans and projects leading up to the deer hunting season. So I hope you enjoy it. And until next time, thank you for listening. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the 100% Wildcat. <laughs> this never happens to me. I can't talk today. It's Mark. You know what? The 100% Wild Podcast we are here with two people that are much better at talking than I am, <laughs> Matt and Mark Drury. I'm glad to be here with you guys. Hello, hello. Good to be here. Yeah. We've, uh, we've gone through a few podcasts this morning. As most people know, we've, we filmed several at a time. Yep. And we've had some good guests, but it's always nice to have Uncle Mark sit in on the podcast with us because I can't yeah. think of anybody that knows more, at least that I know, <laughs> about whitetails than this guy. You got it. You got it all, Mark. I've really become the guest that comes in when no one else can come. That's right. <laughs> I really used to feel honored to do these. Now I just feel like, you know, you're really after, afterthought. Right? You're pretty much just a co-host. Yeah. <laughs> this point, right? We do appreciate you being here, though. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, man. We're uh, we're talking about a lot of different things today with all these different people, but I thought it'd be kind of cool to catch up with you about what's happening right now yeah. for us. You know, it's the summer, mid-July while we we're actually recording this. Um, and I know I've been doing a ton of work. I'm sure you're busy in the woods as much as you can get out of the office. Yeah. And I'd be really interested to hear about what's new with you in the whitetail woods. What kind of stuff's going on right now, Mark? Well, you know, it's what's not going on, which is rain. You yeah. know, we're really dry in Iowa. Um, I have a weather app on my, on my phone called Climate Field View, and it kind of estimates your rain per event. And my Texas lease is the place where I've received the most rain out of like 15 different fields. You know, that that area is wetter than we are in the Midwest. Jeez. So uh, in my opinion, we're as dry as we were in 2012, which everybody knows what happened that year. So I'm, I'm very, uh, very worried right now. I, every time I've seen it this dry through the years, we end up with some sort of a die-off from EHD. It just uh, depends on how deep that die-off is going to cut. And this honestly, year. you were calling this for months now. It's been months that you said. You hear me yeah. complaining about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's like it's going to be, we're going to have, you know, it was even through the winter last year we were dry we were dry not a lot of snow not you know and you were like this is not setting up for a good it's not and then it was warm early this year in the spring you know really february was starting to get warm in march and i started complaining about it again then you know (laughs) we went into the spring dry we were fairly wet in april but then uh from may 20th through july the third i received 0.9 on my main Iowa farm. So I received less than an inch wow. in 43 days. And it's weird because... Which is, unex- there, you know, that you can't yikes. sustain. There are areas there that have had record rainfall. Yeah, for sure. You know, we had some flooding this, this spring, and we had, uh, I'm trying to think, Rod, well, Rod Owen was just on, and mm-hmm. he was talking about his area, and that's, they've had good rainfall. So yep. it's just, it's weird how those pockets go it's, on the map right it, it's pockety which is why that ehd ends up pockety yeah. yeah and it appears as if my little area there is in in the pocket this year but now it could turn around it could start raining and yeah. you know, all the all the problems would be solved but uh it it does explain why ehd is so very pockety because thunderstorms by their very nature in the Pop summer up. 
their pop-ups in their pocket, you know. Yeah. Not everybody gets consistent rainfall. Yeah. So that's why even last year we saw big die-offs over in Illinois, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, and I had the best crop I'd ever had because I got, you know, an inch every 10 days. It was amazing last year, but this year we're paying for it. So is there anything you are doing to try to proactively I am. handle yeah. the situation? And even during the winter, I fed more uh, analogics this winter, hoping to kind of give my deer an immune system boost going mm-hmm. into the summer than I ever have. I fed more than I ever have. And I'm feeding again heavily now that we're into the dry time to try and give that immune system the boost, which, you know, it's not going to go in and prevent EHD. And there's some feeds out there now saying that they can prevent it. They can't. You know, it's a virus. Mm-hmm. You, can't, uh, you can't check a, a virus in a, in a Petri dish, right? You can't kill it. So, you know, you have to do everything you can, though, to help their immune system fight off the secondary stuff that comes from EHD. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to do right now. And I, I actually put out 52 50-gallon water stations as well in a theory that I concocted with David Lindsay and, and Grant Woods. If we could potentially keep them off of the muddy areas, maybe yeah. it would help. But trying to keep those full is a pain, and there's algae growing in them within a week, you know, so it may not be the best solution either. But we're at least trying that in the right. short term. We've, we've had them out now about uh, two weeks, and this would be the – the second watering right now. So, so the logic is right. These these midges that transmit EHD, they're found in these mud flats yeah, around so the drying keep off. Away from the mud. So keep them away from the mud flats. So that I makes would sense. assume the hard part is to get a deer and their mentality, with their whole life going to one spot yeah. to switch it and go to a tub, right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. We actually added a, a substance to the water called Blue Light, which mm-hmm. is a, a stress reliever. It's kind of like Gatorade for ruminants. You know, the guys up at Analogics, you know, they have a, another whole side of their business, which is vet science you know and they were like hey add blue light to your water because stressed pigs and cows they they really crave this stuff when they're stressed so we added the blue light in hopes that they would take to it a little quicker but usage doesn't seem to be very very aggressive just yet so did you put any cameras on those we have cameras on them, yeah but i haven't really really checked them so thus far i'm lukewarm on this theory just because they're not coming to it with regularity. They heat up real quick because they're not underground, yeah. you know. And so, you know, without a, like a full-time watering system throughout the farm, I don't think I can make this theory work, even though the theory makes sense, yeah. you know, to on, your point. On small enough properties, you probably could, could be help. pretty effective. But could help. But the size you're talking about, yeah, it's, it's pretty it's difficult. difficult. It's challenging. Yeah. You wow. know, it's 2,500 gallons a week is what we're trying to put out there, but it's warm within 24 hours. So yeah. as we sit here today, July 10th, the day we're filming here, um, have you started putting out cameras yet? I mean, what's your... I have just a few out yeah. on, a, on a new feed that we're testing with Analogics, the same one you've got on your lease. Yeah. So I don't have a lot out. I generally use about the 15th to the 20th of july as the as the start starting gun for putting cameras out you know by then the deer are about finished and really your best pictures always occur in the first two weeks of august i've noticed that so once you put them out about how long do you wait till you go back in there usually a month a month yeah i'll put them out in mid-july and then i I wait till mid-august to check them yeah yeah. What's your typical summer trail camera placement looking like? Are you, you know, thinking through the same 
I mean, there's a lot of different things that we're thinking about when we're placing cameras during the season. Mm-hmm. Um, is it the same type of stuff you're thinking about, just a slightly different location, or is it dramatically different strategy? Well, this summer I'm going to put a bunch over water because of the fact that it, it is so dry. Uh, I also have really good luck on big hub scrapes, and I think we've talked about yeah. this before. Summer scrape monitoring is yeah. very, very good. Uh, and I, I marked a bunch of scrapes last winter that I can't wait to go put cameras on this this summer because they're generally you don't see them in the summer, right? They look like everything else, but they're there and they're still going to work those limbs. They're not going to paw the ground, but they'll still come check them. And yeah. and I get a lot of really big deer on those. The other place that I have a lot of luck on is the either a mineral block from Analogics or a bio rock from from uh, uh, Biologic. I love that bio rock and and the mineral block. They both do very well. Yep. So it's basically just some kind of trace mineral type stuff, right? Well, the bio rock is predominantly salt, but it's a natural salt mine from, I believe, Pakistan, if I'm not mistaken. It's one of two places you can get salt in its natural form like they have it. And then the the mineral block, it's got a lot of the goodies that Analogics has. The Supplement 365. The Supplement 365. Didn't they make something that you can pour on top of that now i think they do i'm gonna i'm gonna put some of that out this week and try think, it i think they do how, yeah. but i i think the mineral block differs from the protein it block does. in that it doesn't have everything that the sup 365 okay. has and it has it's more mineral based okay the protein block has the sub a lot of it yeah okay. yep. yep. interesting we, we were talking me and matt before we uh recorded today that in michigan you can't put out bait or minerals or anything mm-hmm. Um, until during the season, actually. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, <about> it? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So I've been trying Go to figure. been trying some different ways to try to get some better summer inventory. And an idea I've heard from a number of people I've talked to, and I don't know if you've heard about this at all, but using a preorbital scent, so the, a glandular scent from the preorbital glands up here that deer are typically getting on licking branches, and a lot of guys are using this in the summer even. Just to get like pictures. you said, yep. People at these bucks are still they're having very good luck with it. Yeah, it makes sense because, um, like you said, they're still visiting those scrapes. They're just right. not digging them up, but they check the licking branch. And when this preorbital scent is there, supposedly it brings in many, many more bucks from the area to come check that it. out. They're um, very social, and they're social more through scent than anything else, scent and visual. Mm-hmm. But they're very social animals, so I don't, I don't doubt that at all. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So we'll see. I've got some cameras out, and, yeah. and we'll see if it's different than what I would usually expect. But otherwise, if you if you can't put food out, and if you don't have some kind of summer food or isolated water source, it can be a little bit tricky in the summer to get good inventory. I mean, mm-hmm. is there anything else you would do to try to get eyes on a buck this time of year other than one of those stay out from your camera you know that intrusion is always your number one enemy Mm -hmm. so put it out and stay out that's the the main thing don't go check it or use one of the cell systems that are out there but those i've found to be unreliable for the most part the picture quality isn't great Mm -hmm. and you got to have good service and all that good stuff so i'm i'm the old-fashioned just put the camera out let it sit and check it later so if you're in a state like that where you can't bait or anything like that uh, or supplement feed what are you honing in on on t- traditional scrape sites or, mm, yeah, or, sure. or you know, patterning them where they're going from food to bed or what are you where are you hanging a set or oh, sta- in, uh, hanging a in camera. terms of the early season well in terms of summer trying to get those you know get that inventory yeah no doubt it would be based on something that i learned the previous season during the early season that i want to get in there or it might be two years ago based on crop rotation a lot of times the stuff you learn one year won't come back around because of crop switching out you know it was beans then it was corn now it's beans mm-hmm. again so sometimes you're two years in advance so i'm going to make plans you know for that based on information i've learned in the past so is there anything like this summer right now mark that 
you're implementing something like that. You've learned something over the years, and now it's the summer before the season. You know, all right, I need to make this change to my property or to one of my setups. For sure. Any examples you can share like that? Um, it often has to do with access or stand location. You know, I'm going to tweak it because it really didn't work last year, or my access, I kept getting you know, seen or heard or, or I was blowing deer out. So I'll either erase that or I might have a tree stand set that I'm going to replace with a box blind because I kept getting picked visually, mm -hmm. those types of things. So I'm always tweaking based on mistakes. And you know, if you can eliminate enough mistakes, you start getting better and better at not spooking deer when they're in and around you. So my off-season plan is almost always revolving around eliminating things that went wrong the previous year, almost always. How many spots like that do you think you have this year even i mean how many stands you're going to move or blinds you're going to move or anything mm, like that mm, six new spots because of new farms and then tweaking three or four probably something okay. like that but yeah. it's also been years and years in the making i mean once you've tweaked a spot you usually don't go back in and yeah a lot of them they're where they need to be yeah. yeah so a lot of these farms that i'm hunting right now i've had for seven eight nine years so they're they're pretty much tweaked it's been interesting. I, I, I bought a couple farms in the off-season, a 120-acre parcel and a 97-acre parcel in Missouri. So a lot of my attention has gone to those two parcels, and that's been a really fun project. We've documented it all with drones and cameras and all that stuff, and we're actually putting together a piece for DOD TV that will come out sometime here this summer or this fall about those two pieces, and we'll keep updating people as well as our, you know, from success there. Well, that's the fun part because you really haven't had a new piece for a, long a few time. years to, to all mm -hmm. these you know it's not theories anymore they're working you know it's working things that you've they've mm -hmm. done little bit by little bit but to go in and have a new piece to completely yeah, overhaul for sure I'm sure it's been it's, fun. it's been exciting i yeah. mean that's that's fun for me you know it's a blank chalkboard yeah. when you start yeah. so you get to go in there and make all these changes and you know it, and, you know, I think of the decisions I make now versus the ones I used to make, you know. Well, when I was in my mid-20s, I would have dove in there, and wherever the heaviest trail was, I'd have hung a stand, and I would have got on the correct wind side of it, you know. And anymore, I don't even hardly visit those deep drainages where the trails are most defined. You know, I'm up on the ridges and away from the cover, and I'm trying to pull them out of the cover and stuff. And, you know, it's all about access and food and not disturbing that deer herd. So uh, it's going to be fun to see what we can if we can take a deer off of each one, that's that's the goal going into the year, mature buck off of each of those two farms, which is a tough task. Do you think it's going to be an early season? Like your current Missouri farm that you've had for the last few years, you've always had an early season success as soon as Missouri season starts. Are these new farms going to be kind of that mentality, or are you thinking that one might be a rut farm, one might be late I, season? I think it's too early to tell and give that decision today. My gut tells me that the 120, because it is such a heavy cover farm, that it's going to be better late season, uh, but we're going to have cameras running all summer to see. There should be a shooter or two in there, I think, uh, and if so, I'll have a crop to try and take him in an early part of September. Mm -hmm. I've already got two big clover fields planted in it, and then inside those clover fields, we're going to come out and carve a, a radish field out to try and hopefully have some deer in there this summer and then pull them to the radishes for an actual bow shot. Uh, the other farm, I don't know. I really don't know. I think it's going to be a great rut farm just because of the way it sets up. And there is one bottom field that should hold a shooter, but I just won't know till I run those cameras. I really won't. Can you, uh, I'm really curious how you pick these farms. Like when Mark Drury is looking for a new spot, what are the things you're thinking about when making that decision that this is the spot worth, you know, investing in? 
Why did you pick these these two farms? Both of them have a lot of south face, which I love in a farm. I think ultimately a farm is made or broke based on how much south face it holds. Hmm. Uh, you also have to have water and you got to have cover and then you can add the food in almost any equation. So I never worry about food source. In fact, both of them don't have any food source anywhere close. They're both kind of pastory farms. So therefore, we go in and add our food plots. I think they're going to draw in a lot of deer. So I looked at that as a benefit. Even though these didn't have any, the neighboring farms didn't have a lot. So therefore, when we add it, we could become the food source in the neighborhood. So I like that. But both have a lot of south face and a lot of thick cover. I like thick, thick, thick cover because you just can't, you can't create that. You know, You can add water by building ponds. You can add food. And you can come up with the right access and whatnot, but you can't create south face and you can't create heavy cover. You can't do it. Can you elaborate on why you care so much about the south facing slopes? It's where your heavy cover is, okay. and that's where they bed. You know, 90% of the time a deer is bedding during the rut, often they're on a south to east face. And this is because it's getting more sunlight? More that's sunlight, more cover. warmer. And, and often it's the most thick cover that will be in any area as well. Go to the north side of the hill, look at the trees there and then go to the south side and look at the difference in the cover and the thickness. You know, the north side of the trees, they're trying to grow up and straight and reach the sunlight. And the yeah. south side, there's plenty of sunlight, so everything's thick, you know. Right. So if you go in and you want to create more cover on your farm, I always go in and I'll cut the south-facing hillside. It'll thicken up 10 times as fast as that north face ever ever thought about it just because of how much sunlight hits Makes it. Makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Did you pay attention at all and I mean, at least when I'm thinking about ever buying a property, especially in a spot like Michigan where there's a lot of hunting pressure mm -hmm. and stuff, one of the most important criteria is the neighborhood. Like trying sure. to buy a farm in an area where there's going to be potentially helpful neighbors, people that might be on the same plan as you. Is that something you think about I at all? I did or not. Just said, no, I don't I mean, I great. think about it, you know, but when these pieces come up that I like, it's also part of the challenge. Regardless of neighborhood, I want to try and go in there and succeed and do the things that we've learned the, over the last three decades and see if we can't pull a mature deer out of it, you know, and, and see what we can do. So far, it's been pretty good, you know, as far as the early pictures. I mean, there's mature bucks on that 120 because I, I, I put it under contract early enough that I was able to do a camera survey in December, mm -hmm. and I, I got, you know, 11 or 12 different rack bucks in there, so I might have got lucky with the neighborhood, to your point. The other farm is not far from our neighborhood, so it's pretty good. It's about a mile and a half off, and I've met the neighbors. They're all real nice, but there's, you know, four or five guys on every parcel around there, and they're pounding it during the gun season, you know. So my strategy will probably be more directed around the early part of the season than the latter part of the season, yep. and uh, probably, you know, let that be a bit of a sanctuary during rifle season based on the pressure around it. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now... And I'm just, I'm always fascinated by the details of the examples. So you've got one of these new farms. You've mentioned like a few core things, you, some changes. You're going to add food and do some stuff like that. Um, when you're thinking through these stand sites, like I, I would, I'm really fascinated with like what, when you walk out on a property in July or whenever it is that you're hanging your stands on some of these spots, you're walking out to a spot. What, what are all the things you're thinking about when you're picking the right tree? When you're choosing that this is the spot instead of this other spot along the field or that other spot along the draw, can you give us like the detailed thought process you're going through when making those? Sure. I'm looking for the cover and where I would anticipate they would bed. Then I'm looking at the access into 
the the edge of the safe wind direction. In other words, if I think most of the deer are coming from here, I want all the deer upwind in a perfect world all the time. So I'm always generally on the border of cover right when it meets the opening because they're all coming from here and then I can put my wind back here and then kill them right in front of me. So I'm looking for where they might bed. I'm looking how I might get there and where that edge of travel should be. So that's, those are the things that I look for. Okay. I can't remember if we've talked to you about this or not. Um, but a lot of people talk about how bucks might use the wind themselves and trying to be on the edge where they think they're using the wind. And have we talked about with you? I mean, how oh, often to do you some think degree, about that? but I've looked at them through the years and I, I don't see them using the wind a whole heck of a lot, to be okay. honest with you. You know, if you sit there and, and you watch a deer, I mean, I, I've seen them do everything in every different wind direction through the years. Some of it will depend on the time of the year, but I think they're they're more in tune with their environment and where bed is and where food is. You know, they're not going to switch where they're bedding uh, because of you know, the wind direction, you know, bed is bed and security is security, right? And if the wind's out of the north, they might switch where they bed within the bed, but the bed's still the bed. Security cover is the bed, you know, so travel's going to be determined based on, regardless of wind direction, he's going to go feed. So, I mean, I've sat there and watched the same buck come out to the same field from the same draw on every wind direction on the compass, you know, mm-hmm. security is security. So I don't, I don't put a lot of bets based on wind direction and how a deer is going to travel based on that wind direction interesting i think it is more happenstance and you view it but that doesn't mean that he does that all the time right yeah because you because of wind you're in a spot to see it right right you know yeah you're hunting there for a reason but it doesn't mean anything to him right yeah if if that theory was correct none of our spots would work right because i'm in there on the most beneficial wind for that food plot so you would think well he would never come there but they're they're there you know um, and they're there on days when I can't hunt there because the cameras show that. Mm, so, right. so I don't pay a lot of attention to it. And what about the days where the wind is real light, you know? Right. Yeah. That's a whole other question. Yeah, I, they I wonder about quite, this a lot. They move quite well then. Because I wonder, do you, so do you, do you not ever see bucks use certain areas with a certain wind direction? Like I draw a, if there's a Southwest wind, I think I'm going to be able to kill such and such. Do you see that at all? Ever? No doubt. They, they depend on their nose a great deal. So therefore, I think they're doing a lot of what we're doing, right? We're often in the same position that the buck is because he's going to uh, approach that draw on the downwind side of the draw to check out what's in that draw. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it depends on what time of the year. I see them using their nose like a dog much more during the rut when they're looking for that next doe yeah. than they do early season or late season when they're just betting going to food. So some of it will occur during the rut that they won't necessarily do early season and late season makes sense or they'll you know if they hear two bucks fighting they're going to the downwind yeah. side right you know they're they're going to come in from the downwind side to check out who's who's doing the fighting you know to communicate with their nose makes sense is there anything else you're doing at this time of year uh you know over the next few weeks or month leading into the season well it'll be all about cameras you yeah. know putting i'll have probably 80 plus out this this fall so i got to get them all up that takes a while and and that's that's a chore in and of itself cleaning them all renumbering them all uh i sent off any that might be having a little quirky problem to get them fixed in the off season so that when i get ready to put them all out i rebatteried them all so they all have a fresh set of batteries and then you go to the field so there's a few days prep you know 
before you head out to the field with the cameras. The worst thing you can do is head out there with a bunch of batteries, a bunch of cards, yeah. and a bunch of cameras. You better go out there with a bunch of cameras that are numbered, a list of where you're putting those cameras, and be ready with fresh batteries because you, you don't want to set yourself up for a, a heartache the first time you check your cameras with, with <laughs> yeah. batteries from last season. Yeah. Get those batteries out of there, man. Start with fresh batteries. Is there any other maintenance you do with cameras to keep them in good working order? Clean them and don't avoid shock. Don't let them bounce. You know, there's a bunch of electronics in there. So always handle them with kit gloves. Handle them like a baby and make sure they're not getting jarred around because that's how you lose your focus. It's how you lose, you know, your infrared and those types of things. So I always handle them with kit gloves. So Jamie at Reconics told me that. He said hmm. shock is one of the worst things for a camera. So when you're out, you know, say August, what, how late into the summer do you stop hmm hanging new sets or you know what i mean when are you ideally because you hear a lot of people hanging their set in the summer dad tends to want to do his in february you know mm -hmm. once the season's over and it's cooler out and yeah if they have to deal with poison ivy i do and all too that stuff. i prefer then but you know it depends on how much time you have but if your access is right and you choose a windy day i always like windy days or rainy days to where you know that covers your approach in and out so I think you could hang it and hunt it the same day and answer your question. If the access was right and you were quiet about your business, the worst thing you can do, though, is go in there and bang around and make a bunch of noise. What about, yeah. uh, like, clearing paths and cutting limbs and all that stuff? You know, you, you say you do put a new setup and you're wanting to clear your spot to it. I mean, you know, you're going to make some noise in those situations. Yeah, I'm really selective about that stuff. Yeah. Really selective. I'm, I'm generally in trim a few things for shooting but if i'm going to do a big trim job it's go either going to be in june or in february and gotcha. the best time to trim is june or july once everything greens up mm -hmm. then you can go in there and trim it and let them have plenty of time to to get used to it yeah how many stands do you or stands or blind hunting locations do you think you'll have on those two farms um i mean i'm uh, two each. curious two hunting locations per 100 acres mm -hmm. wow i feel i would have assumed more well, if those were the only farms I had to hunt, that would be correct. Yeah. But I have a, a lot of different yeah. areas in Iowa and Missouri that I'm hunting. So I went to, in my opinion, the two cherries spots, on each yeah. farm. But this is our first year, so they're kind of in observatory spots. So we'll tweak and, and move and, and start popping up more stands once we get camera surveys and get to watch it. But going in there blind, I, I'd rather watch it than, than, you know, just guess. Yeah. I made two good guesses on each, I think. Can you describe in more detail either one of those so just up on a hill where you can see a lot or something or coincidentally one's a big bottom plot on each and one's a big ridge on each hmm. and uh the bottom plot on and both bottom plots take a northeast wind and both top plots take a south to southwest wind okay. ironically enough you know <laughs> so it's just the way it worked out so went in scattered the whole thing looked at all the trails okay this is our access here's a bottom plot made it bigger the, the one farm was all timber so i had to carve both plots out the other farm had a beautiful ridge field i accented it with another ridge and then there was a pond there that you couldn't see it was buried in the cedar so we ended up going in and dozing out to where we could see around that pond added clover around the entire pond we got a big ridge of clover here we're going to put a big biologic patch over here so that ridge plot on that 97 should be stupidly good like when i looked at it i was like holy cow then good lord didn't make many of these spots you know and both places the bottom field is is nuts i mean they're really good bottom field all these trails all coming together into these 
into these bottoms and we've got safe areas for our wind but in both of those bottom areas i'm putting up a muddy bull to try and retain our scent and get it in because those bottoms are where your Mm, your scent's going to curl around a little bit so i'm making sure that i can control that scent a little bit down there is there any i've always wondered about this because so often right we avoid those low spots because of the swirling wind have you ever found any certain set of circumstances where you're more likely to be able to get away with that i mean like a thermal situation or i don't know i have good luck when you can get a hollow a a long (coughs) deep hollow lined up with the direction you want the wind yeah you know that's where you get trouble is if you try to put your wind where it has to go over a ridge and then go out here it's not going to work so i will move 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 we we put that bottom field on that 120 in line with the deepest hollow on the place and it was kind of where two drainages came together so the wind can come like this put it back over the other drainage and then the food plot in theory should be upwind of us and i wind tested it and it was it was good interesting i wind tested it with no leaves i have not wind tested it with leaves i suspect that could be a problem so that's 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 interesting thing too to check that early in the year Mm-hmm. And then in the summer, because those leaves probably do make a difference with how the wind travels. I guarantee they will. And you're wanting it for an early season spot, potentially. I'm going to try it, yeah. but I suspect I'm going to go in there and get, get busted. That's my gut. But yeah. I know late season, the northeast going to work because there were no leaves on the trees and it worked. Um, so I, I wind test a lot, you know, because, you know, why not test it? We test everything in, in life. Why not test it and make sure that the wind's going to be consistent rather than go in there and hunt it, which here I am saying I'm going to go in there and hunt it and probably get blown because I don't want to test it this time of the year. I mean, we're, we're going to – that muddy bull, though, keeps most of those problems out. So what I will do is when I go there, I'm going to go there on a very light wind day when it's really low because I've got some other northeast spots that work well when the wind's brisk. But when it's real light, it seems to be a little bit more consistent. And down in those bottoms, you know, a five to six up on top is nearly nothing yeah. down in the bottom. Get in that muddy bowl, close the windows, and we'll be okay. That's where I generally go is to a spot that you might get winded anyway on those really light wind days because the wind's going to swirl whether you're on top or in the bottom, so you might as well go to a bottom where it swirls all the time anyway. And that's when I have a, a tendency to close myself in. Do you have any situations this year I mean, you mentioned it earlier that oftentimes on one of your Missouri farms, you're usually having good early season action. Um, do you have a situation? Is there a buck this year that you are keyed in on already for the early season for the first few days maybe of the year that you're planning for? Potentially. We have a deer called Forky the Pig, and he's a big-bodied deer and just a big old G2 with a fork on it. So we called him Forky the Pig. Nice. And he's this giant body, you know, and I, I actually missed him with a rifle last year during the yeah. rifle season at, at about 300 yards. and. And that deer's just in my mind, and he's—I think he's going to be seven and a half this year. So, if if we can get a read on him, he'll be the target deer for sure. Nice. Only saw him once all last year, but quite a few pictures. So, can you tear, share with us what that plan is then to get the read on him? Like, how is it just going to be? Well, luckily, he lives in a place where we have a lot of success. Um, he, he lives where Taylor killed the prayer buck and where I killed that fork G2 buck like mm-hmm. three years ago yeah, that, on that, that clover gap. field, and that field's in yeah. corn. So, he's. He could be in trouble if he's there again. So just a I matter suspect of, he's in trouble. Then. Yeah. <laughs> if he's there, he could be in trouble. You know? So that's a situation where you know basically where the bedroom is, and there's definitely going to be good food there. Yeah, so you historically, just to, they just they bed there. They come to this clover plot and stage, walk, and then right? they go out to this huge yeah. field. And that's the way we set it up. That top that is now a clover field where the prayer buck was killed and where that fork buck was killed. 
that used to just be a cedar top. We went and dozed it all off, and we go, oh, my goodness, look at all this bedding. They'll, they'll stage here, and then here's these huge, huge fields. I love areas like that to where you have this staging plot leading to a big plot. We, we call that feed them forward, you know, because you know where they're going, right? They're all going to the big fields, but you got to try and take advantage of the flow heading to those big fields and kind of make them come through a certain area heading to those fields. And early enough. Yeah, like, and that's always enough. the problem getting yeah. them there before. Do they bed right. close? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Um, kind of related to that a little bit. We were talking earlier about just how, at least in many cases, and I see it often where I'm hunting a lot. You have a lot of these summertime bucks that you're watching that you know as soon as velvet comes off September seventh or fourth or whatever it is, some percentage of them relocate to yeah, a new range. Sure. How often do you see that on your properties? And a lot, yeah. A lot. You gain a lot of deer. Different in Missouri than Iowa, right? Yeah, different in Missouri and Iowa. Those ranges are, are much bigger in Missouri. Hmm. Therefore, I have a lot more flow there. Almost two different body styles. The Missouri deer are longer, lankier. They walk more. Uh, average field dress weight there of a, of a five- or six-year-old deer is probably 180, 190 up in Iowa. That average field weight dress probably uh, field dress weight is probably two. 15 to 20 just two different body styles and it's only 35 miles apart it's crazy the differences between those two states so i see a lot of movement in missouri terry does as well but in iowa not nearly as much but you do gain a lot of deer that time of the year and that's that's kind of the magic of of great habitat and water and cover and food you know you're going to gain more than you're going to lose in my opinion if you do your if you make your farm the best that it can be you're going to end up on the positive side of that equation when they start moving around do you think that's because of just the back to the two differences and how much they travel or not do you think that's at all related to the terrain like just like the stuff in the area like there's more cover in the the area where they travel less less cover in the missouri farm where they travel summer range is just drastically different for a whitetail than it is during the during the fall if you look at the deer you see during the summer, you go, oh, my goodness, look, all the beautiful deer out everywhere. You know, well, they're on food. They're trying to eat as much as they can. And all of a sudden, when that velvet comes off, the, the, it switches. You know, their attention switches to those does. Mm-hmm. They go to where they're going to rut, and they get ready for the, what's coming up, which is, you know, the one time they get to do it each year. So yeah. it switches. Then, then they're going into the cover, and they're going in where those does are, and they're getting ready to start marking their spots and whatnot. It's just two different worlds. Yeah. It That's why we did 13, because all the light switch yeah. events. Right, right. It is amazing how quickly things change, and as the testosterone ramps up, everything changes. Everything changes. Everything changes. But that first part of the season, when does Michigan open? October 1st. October 1st, still real good. September 15th through October the 13th, 14th. That's a real good month to be a whitetail hunter. You can get on them, stay on them, catch them on food. Starts cooling off. Yeah, yeah. It's It's just like December – but you're not dealing with as many deer and you're not dealing with as many cold fronts. But when you get them, they are magic, man. Yeah. That, that last hour and a half of day is really good that time of the year. I've got all my fingers and toes crossed for a cold front on October 1st. Holyfield. Holyfield. Right? That's right. Yeah, he's, I think he's still out there. I think Holyfield and Hook are both going to die this year. Man, just, I hope so. I it may be for me HD, but I think they're both going <laughs> to die. Yeah, Hopefully not EHD. <laughs> I got my fingers crossed. Let's hope. <laughs> got a plan in place. Yeah. So God, sure we'll if you guys both kill those deer the same day or something, wouldn't that be a podcast? Well, You'd have to do be, one right then. That would be awesome. It'd certainly be exciting for the two of us. Yeah, at least for, <laughs> the two of us would be really jacked. Everyone yeah. else is like, well, about time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All those better hunters out there would probably be like, oh, it is man. about time. <laughs> it's been a fun journey, though. Oh, yeah. 
should we uh, cover anything else or should we wrap this one up? I think we wrap it up and save some good info for another podcast. True. Yeah, I can't help There's myself. There's not a lot left. So. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we get talking, I'm just I'm trying to pull as much as I can. So you're right. We should save it. Save it. All right. Well, thank you, Mark, for My joining pleasure. us Thanks this for having one. me. A lot of fun. And thanks, everyone, for watching and for listening. And our quick update, as always, if you'd like to submit a question of your own, very easy to do. You just need to head over to wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild. That's 100 and then percent wild. And then subscribe for the audio version over at the Apple Podcast app or Google Play or Stitcher. You'll be able to get all the new episodes right on your phone right when they come out. As always, you can follow along the video version of this podcast at the Drury Outdoors YouTube channel. And we have all kinds of great content there, more than you could probably go through. I mean, we're starting to populate it with original hunts, with killing it in the kitchen segments with Taylor, uh, with throwbacks with, you know, we've had great throwbacks with like Jay Gregory and all kinds of stuff. So you're going to want to check it out. Be sure to subscribe to get all the latest and greatest. And as always, you can always follow along at all of the social media channels at Drury Outdoors. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Peace.